The Republican, Glenn Youngkin, has won in Virginia, and the libs are not taking it well. I think we know the answer to some of this. I watched Glenn Youngkin's interviews on Fox News, and he did nothing that Claire's, he did not, I mean, he worshipped at the altar of Donald Trump on Fox News. He flew an insurrection flag at his rallies. He simply didn't, he played dumb about a, 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 a Zoom rally. He did not really put much distance between himself and Donald Trump on the big lie or the deadly insurrection in which police officers were maimed by flagpoles. So I think that the, the real ominous thing is that critical race theory, which isn't real, turned the suburbs 15 points to the Trump insurrection endorsed Republican. What do Democrats do about that? So not a single thing that that woman said there is true. Not a single thing with one exception. Critical race theory, dot, 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 turned the suburbs, dot, 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 15 points to the dot, 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 Republican. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment yesterday is from Eddie Gesh, who says, education is not supposed to be about making people feel comfortable in school. It's about educating them. Yes, this was the, the final campaign salvo from Terry McAuliffe, the now vanquished former governor of, of Virginia and former future governor of Virginia. Terry McAuliffe said, we're going to fire white teachers because black people don't feel comfortable with white teachers, which I don't think is true to begin with. But second of all, yes, you're right. Education is not about feeling comfortable. Or if it is, it's about comfort in the true meaning of that word, giving you strength. You know, the idea of the bio tapestry, you got Bishop Odo smacking his own retreating men with a club and it says, here, Bishop Odo comforts the boys. That's, yeah, we got to give you strength. And sometimes that is a little bit tough. And we, I think we just taught a tough lesson to Democrats in Virginia. You know, when you want to uh, protect not just your state, your country, but your identity, I would recommend you check out LifeLock. In the era of COVID-19, scams and hoaxes have really proliferated, haven't they? Including tech support scams, which are surging to the top of the list of internet scam threats. They're designed to trick you into believing something is wrong, and then they seek to steal your personal information, tap your bank account, or install dangerous software on your device. It's very important to understand how cybercrime and identity theft are affecting our lives. LifeLock helps detect a wide range of identity threats, such as your social security number for sale on the dark web. If they detect your information, they will send you an alert. No one can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses, but you can keep what's yours with LifeLock Identity Theft Protection. Join now and save up to 25% off your first year by going to LifeLock.com slash Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S. That is LifeLock.com slash Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S for 25% off. That woman from MSNBC, Nicole Wallace, she said that Glenn Youngkin, he worshiped at the altar of Trump. That's not true. He, he tried to distance himself as much as possible from Trump because he thought Trump was going to hurt him in the race. He flew an insurrection flag at his rally. He didn't, what insurrection? Oh, oh, she's referring to the Confederate flag. 
Uh, did Glenn Young, I don't think Glenn Young can fluid. Oh, you're talking about the Democrat operative who we got on camera speaking into a little microphone who, <laughs> who wore a brand new printed and ironed on Confederate flag right in front of the press uh, and who didn't get away with the stunt. Okay. So that, that part wasn't true as well. Who, what, what else did she say about him that he, he played dumb about a teller rally? Oh yeah. Donald Trump supported uh, Glenn Youngkin in the race, but Glenn Youngkin didn't even show up to the teller rally where, where Donald Trump called in, where he, sub, Glenn Youngkin supported a deadly insurrection. What deadly? Oh, you're talking about the January 6th thing that wasn't deadly. That was a total lie from the New York Times and the Washington Post. Even they had to admit it. And by the way, I don't think Glenn Youngkin even supported the demonstration at the Capitol. And critical race theory, which doesn't exist. Well, I think it does exist. I think actually people on your own network have admitted that it exists. And you got to get your story straight because half the libs are saying CRT doesn't exist. Half the libs are saying that CRT is awesome and totally should be taught in schools and is taught in schools. So you got to get your story straight here. Either way, CRT flipped the suburbs. I think that last part is probably fairly true. Of course, Terry McAuliffe won't concede. Terry, I, I was up yesterday. I woke up very early to do my show yesterday in Nashville. I then flew to Florida to speak at the National Conservatism Conference, which was terrific, by the way. Uh, then I flew back here to Nashville to do an election live stream. And I did not want to go to bed. I thought, look, we won the race. We obviously won the race. I don't want to go to bed before they declare victory. But freaking Terry McAuliffe refused to concede. Well, good evening, everybody. What an honor to be here with you tonight. Let me first of all, thank you for coming out here tonight. And I, I want to thank our great governor, Ralph Northam and Pam Northam. For the great work that they have done. So we still got a lot of votes to count. We got about 18% of the vote out. So we're going to continue to count the votes because every single Virginian deserves to have their vote counted. So Terry McAuliffe is a crook. I'm not saying that every Democrat politician is equally corrupt or crooked, but Terry McAuliffe really is crooked. His closest political allies are the Clintons. He's just one of these slimy machine type politicians. And so Terry McAuliffe was hoping that if he could stall long enough, they could discover enough votes in undisclosed boxes somewhere that just happened to have Terry McAuliffe's name written on them. And unfortunately for him, the numbers were so strong for Glenn Youngkin, that that would not work. There was an announcement from the from the McAuliffe uh, campaign. The announcement was that uh, the the vote in Fairfax County was going to be delayed. The count. Oh, they there was a problem with the count. They had to pause the count. We had flashbacks to 2020. Oh yeah, you're going to pause it until three in the morning. You're going to find truckloads full of ballots, right? And in in McAuliffe's defense, it it is very difficult to figure out how many ballots to stuff into the ballot box uh, before you know what the numbers are in the other counties. So in his defense, you know, he had to wait a little while. It, it didn't matter. And, and by the way, Terry McAuliffe never concedes. Okay, don't, don't forget that. Terry McAuliffe, during this very campaign in the year of our Lord, 2021, refused to admit that George W. Bush won the 2000 presidential election. In this very campaign, in the year of our Lord, 2021, Terry McAuliffe refused to acknowledge that Stacey Abrams legitimately lost the 2018 tech, uh, Georgia gubernatorial election. That's what happened. So what did this election come down to? This election came down to one moment that was repeated over and over. McAuliffe kept making the same mistake. The moment came during a, uh, a 
question for, for McAuliffe on the, quest, on the issue of education. Terry McAuliffe said parents need to butt out. The parents had to write to veto bills, veto books, Glenn, not to be knowledge about it, also take them off the shelves. And I'm not going to let parents you come into schools and actually you take books out and make their own decision. You vetoed it. So, yeah, I stopped the bill that I don't think parents should be telling schools what they should teach. Good. I don't think parents should be telling schools what they should teach. Now, don't forget, education is not just about your reading, writing, and arithmetic. Education broadly is how a, a child is raised, right? Education is not just about technical knowledge, not just about book learning. It's about moral knowledge. It's about socialization. It's about how to be a citizen. And so if your kid is going to a school for 12 years, 13 years with kindergarten, now what, 14, 15 years with the pre-K, now what, 16, 17, 18, 19 years with college, which is being pushed for everybody or more, then what the, Terry McAuliffe is saying here is you have no right to raise your kid. Some government employee has the right to raise your kid, but you do not have the right to raise your kid. I think on this issue of education, the race came down to three things. It, it came down to Chris Rufo. Chris Rufo is the uh, uh, scholar at the Manhattan Institute and City Journal who has been exposing critical race theory and sort of setting the stage for critical race theory specifically and the kind of radical racial and sexual ideologies being taught in schools. I don't think this race would have turned out the way it did without Chris Rufo doing that. Then there was the next level. And, you know, I can say it without any pride or false modesty because though this involved friends of mine, it wasn't, it wasn't me directly, okay? It comes down to the sweet baby gang, okay? And, and my colleague, Matt Walsh, going and pulling his stunt at the school board in Virginia and exposing the radical, it's, it's not just CRT, it's CRT, it's the crazy transgender stuff, it's the masking, it's the making the kids get the jab, it's all of that, okay? But it's, it is kind of about the kids, it is kind of about the future. And then beyond that, even more specifically than Chris or Matt, it was this story from Luke Rosiak, the, the Daily Wire investigative journalist, a specific news story about a rape of a young girl in a Virginia school that was covered up by that school district because the school district didn't want to have to answer for their insane transgender bathroom policy. Okay, and that, that story to me is the pivotal story because all the rest is reacting to other things that, is, that, that were going on. The, the Rosiak story, the, the transgender bathroom story, was a news story that was not coming out. Okay, the New York Times wasn't going to cover it. The Washington Post wasn't going to cover it. And usually what happens, because investigative journalism is expensive, is the left-wing outlets waste the money, spend the money that they're never going to make back, breaking the news, and then conservative outlets have to take their biased accounts of, the, of those stories and then try to parse out fact from fiction. And so we're always on the defensive. And the stories that they don't want to cover, they just don't get covered. So the fact that DW decided to invest in real investigative journalism, I think played a decisive role here. There were other things as well. The COVID lockdowns, people didn't like it. That went on and on and on. The forced ma vaccine mandates, people didn't like it. The fact that gas is going through the roof. The fact that our grocery stores are closed. It, I don't think it's simple enough to say that the race was all about education. But just as... The Tea Party was about taxes, debt, government spending. Just as that was the last, even somewhat grassroots movement on the right, so too, this is the, this is the latest grassroots movement on the right that I've seen. 
call it the CRT party. <laughs> you know, the, the Tea Party was all about money and it was all about financial and fiscal issues. This one is about deeper issues, cultural issues, your family, who has the right to raise your kids, what the future of the country looks like. When you want to protect your family, by the way, I would strongly recommend you check out Ring. This Christmas season, deck the halls, walls, windows, and doors with the best deals of the year on the award-winning Ring Alarm. I am sure that we all know about the Ring video doorbell by now. I've been talking about it for years and years and how incredible it is and how it makes everyone feel safe. Did you know that Ring makes an award-winning alarm? Ring Alarm is a powerful, affordable home security system that is so easy to install, even I can do it. Gives you that same peace of mind, that same high-tech technology that you get at the Ring Video Doorbell. It brings it to every corner of your house. So this Christmas season, do it. Deck the halls, the walls, the doors, the windows, every corner of your house with the best deals of the year on the award-winning Ring Alarm. Go to ring.com slash Knowles to get a great deal on a Ring Alarm security kit today. This is something that gives me peace of mind especially when I'm traveling, you know, I'm away from home. It gives you peace of mind when you're in your house, when you're at the office, when you're on a beach. It makes a wonderful gift. Ring.com slash Knowles. So Terry McAuliffe in Virginia ended his campaign in a typically shameful way. He ended that campaign with a lie about uh, Glenn Youngkin, the now governor-elect of Virginia, and Donald Trump. McAuliffe uh, says, guess how Glenn Youngkin is finishing this campaign? He's doing an event with Donald Trump here in Virginia where he brought uh, the hatred, divisiveness that Donald Trump brought to this country. We're going to put an end to Donald Trump's future plans right here in Virginia. So the McAuliffe campaign's strategy was to make the race all about Donald Trump, kind of like what happened with the recall in California. The Youngkin campaign strategy was to make the race all about education and kids. Both of them might have been fair strategies. Donald Trump is just not as popular in Virginia as he is, say, here in the studios of the Michael Knowles Show. <laughs> you know, if McAuliffe had tried that strategy in the, in the studios of the Michael Knowles Show, it would have made me much more likely to vote for Glenn Youngkin, even than I already was. But in Virginia, you know, Trump didn't do as well in Virginia. What, the reason I mention this is, is because it shows you how, how willing Terry McAuliffe is to lie, not to bend the truth, not to focus on certain things to the exclusion of others, not to exaggerate, but to lie. And the thing is, if you lie about the small things, you will lie about the big things too. And, and that's, that's not a winning strategy here, okay? Because when the left has a complete monopoly over the media and the flow of information, then you can get away with lies. But when the right breaks a story, when big tech doesn't intervene to shut down that story, when the, new, when the truth gets out, you look like a jerk and you lose your race. By the way, the Democrats did not, did not exactly hesitate to try to cheat here. There was a, a news report that came out yesterday afternoon that Virginia polling precincts were turning away maskless voters from casting their ballots. So Matt Schlapp, who's the head of the American Conservative Union, he said he was rejected from voting. He was turned away from a polling place because he wouldn't have his mask on. This is obviously a suppression of the Republican vote. Why? Because all the people who don't wear masks are Republicans and all the sheep who do wear the masks on the 593rd day of 15 days to slow the spread are Democrats. And so if you say, no, you have to wear a mask to vote, it'd be, it'd be like the same as saying you need to wear a Terry McAuliffe for governor shirt to vote. 
It's just a political symbol at this point. Frankly, I think it sort of always was. So they were, they were trying to suppress the, the election day turnout. Democrats rigged the election. It ultimately didn't work, but they rigged the election by putting a huge emphasis on early voting, on mail-in voting, which all, all of which redounds to the electoral benefit of Democrats. So the election day voting was always going to tilt heavily in Republican favor. So if you can, if you can suppress that election day voting through the mask or whatever other bogus reason you want, you're going to suppress the Republican vote. Thankfully, they got a rule, the Republicans got a ruling that said you can't do that. So they sent a note out to all of their reporters saying, stay in line. Even if you don't have a mask, stay in line. They can't turn you away. And it obviously worked. This was a big crack for the ruling class. Okay, I said this on the show yesterday. I said, if Glenn Youngkin wins in Virginia, it will at, at least persuade Republicans to some degree that it's not a 100% rigged system, that actually it does still matter if you go campaign, if you go vote. This is going to have really important effects in 2022 and 2024. And just for faith in the country, you know, if, if Republicans felt they got gypped in, in this election, if they felt that this was stolen, that would pose a big problem. Then we, you would have a great deal of the country thinking that this is just a, a tin pot dictatorship. This is a banana republic where we can't trust our elections anymore. Okay. So there's a big crack for the ruling class. And you're seeing protests all around. And there's a difference between the protests. Okay. There are the protests at the school boards with the parents protesting CRT and the gender stuff and the vaccine mandates and all the rest of it. And then there are the fake protests. There are the astroturfed protests, the court jester protests. That's what you saw at the big climate conference with uh, Greta Thunberg. Greta Thunberg began her career as a climate activist when she was a teenager, 15, 16. She's now 18. So you're not hearing from Greta Thunberg as much anymore because the left is going to find some new child to exploit. It's not as interesting. It doesn't make as big a news story when they're exploiting an 18 or 19 or 20 year old. Remember what happened to the, the gun kids? Remember the anti-gun kids? Uh, now I even forget the guy's name. Uh, David Hogg? David Hogg, right? You don't, you don't hear from him anymore because when he was a little kid, a little kid, he was 16, 17. When he was a minor, the left exploited him uh, for their political purposes. Now that he's in college, he's no use to them. So he, he kind of goes away. So, so Greta Thunberg showed up to the climate conference and she gave her big rousing protest. No more exploitation of people and nature and the planet. No more exploitation. No more blah, blah, blah. No more whatever the f*** they're doing inside there. So uh, what's strange, people are talking about how this was vulgar and how this was incoherent and how this was a bad look for the climate activists out there. Uh, to me, this sounds just like all of the other left-wing protests. The blah, 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 blah. That's what they all sound like to me. I'm like a, a character in Peanuts and the, the leftist protesters, they are the teacher. It's just mom, 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 mom. So I, when they literally say that, there's really not much of a difference in, in terms of what I am hearing. But what, what is interesting about this to me is not that the protest kind of fell flat or that it's vulgar and the vulgarity is really not a good look or that it was incoherent because all they were saying is blah, blah, blah. It's that the whole thing was fake. The whole thing is fake. Who are, who are Greta Thunberg and her followers protesting? 
Who are these leftist activists protesting? The leftists in the climate conference for the leftist issue that they all agree on? There's no, there's no protest. Everybody involved in this thing agrees. They all want to harp on the climate issue. They all want to use the climate issue to take away people's choices and way of life and traditions. So it's just a, it's play acting. Okay. When parents show up to school boards and say, you've taken too much power. You're teaching my kids a bunch of crap and we're going to kick you out and start educating our own kids. That's a legitimate threat to the regime. When environmentalists show up to the environmentalist conference and say the same things outside the conference that the people inside the conference are saying, that's, that's not a threat. That actually bolsters the regime. It's the appearance of political opposition when in fact all of them are on the same team. During that climate conference, uh, Joe Biden took a little bit of a nap. So, so you can see Joe Biden's looking at some woman in front of him. His eyes, though, they're kind of, they look a little heavy. He's wearing his mask. We're cutting off a little bit of oxygen to the head, what little oxygen he was getting. You hear someone droning on in the background there. Oh, there they go. There go the eyes. Just, I'm just going to close them for, I'm just, just going to rest my eyes for a little, huh? Did someone's, no, come on, Joe. Joe, do you think anyone's noticing? No. You can just rest your eyes for what it'll be, just like a couple seconds. You can see his chest goes up, down, just the sonorous, melodious sounds of this climate. Just a couple minutes of sleep. People are attacking Joe Biden for this. They're making fun of him. They're criticizing him, especially on the right. I think this is unfair. No one criticizes Biden more than I do, but I try to be fair about it. I completely defend Joe Biden here. Any one of you listening right now, myself included, anyone behind the cameras here at the Daily Wire, we all would have fallen asleep during that conference. You don't have to be old. You don't have to be senile. You don't. That conference was absolute chloroform through a microphone. We all would have fallen asleep. I do not blame Joe Biden. What I do blame Joe Biden for is what he said at the conference. Joe Biden managed to rouse himself from his nap long enough to apologize to the rest of the world for America. And I, uh, I guess I shouldn't apologize, but I do apologize for the fact the United States, uh, the last administration pulled out of the Paris Accords and put us sort of behind the eight ball. Uh, the first thing I did when elected, I see my friend nodding his head over there because we talked about this before while I was running. No, we gotta, we gotta apologize. I, I know I don't want to. I shouldn't apologize, but I'm going to apologize because we pulled out of the Paris Climate Accord and not keeping up our end of the bargain. So first of all, that that just isn't true. It's true we pulled out of the Paris Climate Accord, but it's not true that we therefore were polluting the environment in this incredible way and we weren't keeping up with the other countries. In that year that we pulled out of the Paris Climate Accord, we led the world in carbon emissions. I'm not even saying that's a good thing or something we should be bragging about. I'm just saying we did better on the Paris climate goals than any of the countries that actually remained signed on to the accord. They all just kind of lied. They made a big show about it. They said that they were really interested in cutting their emissions and and follow, but they didn't do it. We didn't say that we cared about that at all, but we actually did do it. Because for the left, what you say is much more important than what you do. Now, 
I'm much more interested in reality. I'm much less interested in the fantasies and the narratives and the spin from the left. And, and all of these reasons why the left-wing policies are supposed to be so good and why theoretically they're so good. I care about what's going on on the ground. And the fact is right now gas is going through the roof, which is why you should check out Get Upside. Talk about good timing. I am thrilled to introduce an incredible app that everyone who buys gas needs to know about. Get Upside. Right now, our listeners are making up to 25 cents for every gallon of gas every time they fill up. Just download the free GetUpside app in the App Store or Google Play right now. Use promo code Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S, and get a bonus 25 cents per gallon on your first fill-up. That's up to 50 cents cash back. Do not pay full price at the pump anymore. Get cash back using GetUpside. Just download the app for free. Use promo code Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S, to get up to 50 cents per gallon cash back on your first tank. Some people who drive a lot are making as much as two to $300 per month cash back. There's no catch. The cash just gets added right to your bank account, or you can be paid through PayPal or an e-gift card for Amazon and other brands. Download the free GetUpside app. Use promo code Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S. Get up to 50 cents per gallon cash back on your first tank. That is code Knowles. Also, subscribe and start listening now to The Morning Wire on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a five-star review if you like what you hear. We'll be right back with a lot more. Marjorie Taylor Greene. You know Marjorie Taylor Greene. She's that... Republican congressman, insurrectionist, terrorist, conspiracist, ist, ist, ism, and ist, whom the Democrats loathe. They hate her. And a lot of squish Republicans don't like her either because she's a little eccentric. So they try to say, I'm a Republican, but I'm not that kind of Republican. Don't let me in with that kind of Republican. I'm no, I'm a good kind. I'm the good kind of Republican. Marjorie Taylor Greene has racked up about $50,000 in fines for not wearing her mask in the House of Representatives. I love that. Nancy Pelosi decided she was going to impose a mask mandate. Now, don't forget, the Senate, which shares a building with the House, shares a very famous building. The Senate does not have a mask mandate, even though the Democrats control the Senate too. So the the senators don't, none of them need to wear their masks. The House, Nancy Pelosi, has decided there is a mask mandate. And so sensible people uh, are not following that. A lot of squishes are going along with it. Sensible people are ignoring it. And so Pelosi's fining people. Marjorie Taylor Greene has racked up 50 G's in fines. I was actually talking to Senator Cruz about this uh, not so long ago. And he said that the the mask mandate is, is actually pretty useful because when you're walking around, at least the House side of things, you can instantly know who is a Democrat and who's a Republican (laughs) among the staffers, among anyone. He's out wearing a mask. That is a Democrat not wearing a mask. That is a uh, Republican. She's been documented. Marjorie Taylor Greene has been documented nearly two dozen times uh, bucking the mandate. And, uh, and she's showing no signs of stopping. I, I really love this. I really get a great kick out of this. It's, it's wonderful. I think the criticisms of Marjorie Taylor Greene missed the point. They will say, she said cookie things. She said, she wrote something on Facebook that's a little weird. She has had a colorful life. Yeah, uh-huh, sure. All of that's true. I think it misses the point. Marjorie Taylor Greene 
is bucking the system. And if you want to buck the system, you have to be a little bit eccentric. Okay? I'm not excusing everything the woman said and done. I don't really care, frankly. The eccentricity is sort of the point. Because what usually happens is you get some, you get Democrats elected into the House. Don't forget, the House is about as low as it gets in terms of prominent natu- national political roles, okay? They don't have a ton of power. They're, you've got to do a lot of team playing in order to get any prominence uh, within the House whatsoever. So people get elected. The Democrats get elected. And what do they do? They go along with the system. They are the ruling class, so that's not surprising. Then some Republicans get elected. And usually they just kind of go along to get along. They know they got to pay their dues. They got to keep their heads down. Maybe after a few terms, maybe they can start sponsoring legislation, get on some important committees, get more of a leadership role. And then you get the people who don't want to go along to get along, who actually want to mix things up. And they've got to be a little bit eccentric. And they're going to rack up $50,000 in fines. And they're going to post some weird things on Facebook. That's, that's the cost of uh, sending someone to the Congress who is, who is going to shake things up a little bit. Fine by me. I think it's well worth the money. You need tough politicians, all right? And we're seeing one. I was just in Florida yesterday. I think, I think that I, I haven't kept a real solid count. I have been to Florida probably 15 times this year at least. I mean, I've been to Florida twice in the last week. I, have, I might have been to Florida more than 15 times this year. And it's because all of the events are going on in Florida because Florida opened up very early because Florida has good Republican leadership in Ron DeSantis. So Ron DeSantis came out and uh, he, he was just speaking at a chamber of commerce. And unfortunately, we don't have video of it, but it is being reported in the newspapers what he said. Very important. Take a listen. He said, if you are using your power as a corporation and you are leveraging that to try to advance any ideology, I think it's very dangerous for this country. And I'm not just going to sit idly by. Do you want to be more of a political actor or more of a business actor? Then he gives them some political advice. He says, don't ever think that caving to the mob is going to save your bacon. That's just going to cause them to come back more. Absolutely true. And then, though he kind of alluded to this in the first part, then he gets to his direct threat. He says, you know, if you do it, you are also going to come by some people on the other side, like me, who are not going to say, well, who are going to say rather, well, wait a minute. If you're going to criticize what we're doing, I may criticize some of the things you are doing. I may look under the hood and not like some things. I got a podium. I got cameras that will follow me around. Maybe I'll go talk about that a little bit. And so I think it's something that's very damaging. Mm-hmm. Yup, that's, that's it. The squish Republican, the Republican talking points of a decade ago, the kind of more libertarian type Republican, they would say, oh, how dare you, Governor DeSantis? You, you can't threaten private, private businesses, the job creators, the people who have every right to push whatever woke nonsense they, they can push abortion and transgenderism and upend marriage and CRT. They can push all of that's their right as Americans. They can sell out the country and all of its traditions to China or wherever. That's their right. That's free enterprise. How dare you, Governor? You ha- you're just the person that the people elected. You have no right to do anything. You're just the person who the people, using the constitutional means available to them, came together to elect to represent them in our government. 
You have no right. No, I think you do have a right. I think we do have political rights in this country. And I think one of the big mistakes of the last several decades is that everyone privatized everything. They did. The, the left privatized all of our social decisions, who you sleep with, who you get to kill as long as he's in the womb, that sort of thing. And the right privatized all of our economic decisions. And therefore, a lot of our political decisions, because if you say that corporations can do whatever they, they want and we can never say peep about it, well, then you've given them the ability to push a radical agenda. You've given them the ability to control speech. You've given them the ability to undermine our own national interest for corporations on the other side of the world. What, what DeSantis is asserting here is a deeply conservative principle. We have political rights and we can express them through our duly elected representative. By the way, what he says here, people are going to take issue. They're going to say, if you push any ideology, we're going to do this to you. And what he's really implying is if you push a leftist ideology, right? If, if some corporation comes out and is pro-life, I don't think he's going to take issue with them. So they're going to say, well, he's being disingenuous here. No, what he's saying is literally true. Ideology is a leftist phenomenon. It is a, it is a left-wing phenomenon of liberal modernity. Ideology is the, I'll use a, this is kind of a silly definition, or I mean, it's a very good definition, but it sounds kind of flowery and, and abstract. But Oakeshott calls ideology the formalized abridgment of the supposed substratum of rational truth contained in the tradition. To bring that down to earth, what that means is it's a, it's a five point rationalized manifesto. It's saying, hey, everything that matters in the entire world between heaven and earth, everything in our whole society can be boiled down to these three points. And as long as we do that, then we're going to have a good time on earth. And that's just not true. Life is complicated. Life is rich. This is why conservatives tend to reject ideology for deeper, more complex things. Religion, tradition, local community, right? This is why we're not so fast to revolutionize the whole world. We say, slow down, hold on. Why are you getting rid of that institution? Why are you toppling that statue? Why are you upending the social order? Slow down or maybe don't do it at all. That is a much more conservative approach. Now, one of the criticisms of this in modernity is that ideologies are really clear. They are Marxism, libertarianism for that matter. All the narrow ideologies, they're really clear. But as my friend Father George Rutler points out, shallows are clear. Shallow thinking is clear. Deep things are a little more murky. They're a little, they're a little more complex. They're a little more profound. Speaking of ideology, Elon Musk, the eccentric billionaire, uh, has decided he's going to found a university. He's at least thinking about it. Elon Musk tweeted out a couple of days ago, I'm thinking of starting a new university, Texas Institute of Technology and Science. And my, my first reaction to this was, well, that's good. We should start our own universities. We should build up our own institutions. And uh, it's good to make sure we have tech and science, but really we should go further. We need to focus on the humanities and we need to focus on the, the, you know, the English and history and all of these things that really matter to preserving our culture. And this is something that conservatives have ignored for too long. And then I realized, wait a second, I think he's just making a boob joke. Because I, if you look, the Texas... Usually you'd say a science and technology, right? That's what you hear in a lot of these schools. So, but it's not Texas Institute of Science. It's Texas Institute of Technology and Science. 
think, I think it might just be a boob joke. But it's an important lesson nonetheless. And it reminds us that sometimes even in jokes with a little bit of humor, we can make a very important political point. We should. I hope Elon does do that. And I hope he keeps the name. Speaking of universities though, very sad news from a Catholic university, Loyola Marymount. I've spoken at Loyola Marymount. Very left wing place. I spoke there with Drew Clavin a few years ago. Uh, Loyola Marymount University is hosting a fundraiser for Planned Parenthood. So uh, there's this group on campus, LMU Women in Politics, and they're hosting a fundraiser for Planned Parenthood. And now there is a petition being sent out from a more conservative group, Renew LMU, that is requesting that the fundraiser be canceled. This, this is an important story. You're not going to hear about this story in a lot of places. It seems like just kind of a minor issue on some random campus somewhere. This is a very important story because in this case, it's a left-wing group that is trying to bring people to campus and it's the right-wing group that's trying to cancel those people from coming to campus. And in recent years, and I've, I've been, <laughs> I guess, one of, the, one of the main figures in this, me and Ben and Candace and, and, and other people, where we are brought to campuses to speak, we as conservatives, and the left-wing campus tries to cancel us and then everyone decries cancel culture. Now, if you've been listening to this show or have read my recent book, Speechless, you'll know that I don't decry cancel culture exactly. I think cancel culture has a lot of good uses. This would be one of them. Okay, I think we all understand that an abortion factory has no role on a Catholic campus. It is in direct contradiction of Catholic teaching. It's in direct contradiction of uh, all that is good and true and beautiful, right? They're just trying to kill a bunch of babies. The students have no right to bring this group to campus. And so they should be canceled. But the people who get hung up on this kind of libertarian, let's cancel, cancel culture kind of talk, they don't have a coherent way of, of addressing that. Okay, so I think we've got to we've got to change the way we're talking about cancel culture and recognize, no, some things are true and some things are false and we should exclude the things that are false and we can settle it and we can cancel people. And if we're going to cancel anyone, it should be Planned Parenthood. It's not just that Planned Parenthood should be canceled from the campus. Planned Parenthood should be canceled, period. And the people who work at Planned Parenthood should be anathematized. And we should pass laws against this kind of stuff. And anyone who violates those laws should go to jail. At the very least, they should go to jail for a very long time. Okay, that's cancel culture to the the furthest extreme it can be, and it's a very good thing. And we need to grow a little spine and maybe a few other anatomical features and be willing and and confident to say those sorts of things. Speaking of the Catholics, really unfortunate news from the Supreme Court. A Catholic hospital uh, has just been at the center of of a case that's going all the way up to the Supreme Court. The case has to do with whether or not a Catholic hospital can be forced to perform a transgender surgery against its conscience and, frankly, against the most basic elements of of medical ethics. Uh, What happened here is a woman showed up to a Catholic hospital and said, I want you to perform a hysterectomy. I want you to remove my lady parts because I think that I'm a man. And uh, the Catholic hospital said, well, you're not a man. And... uh, this is in violation of our faith and of medical ethics, so we're not going to do that. Goes up to the court. The, court, the Supreme Court refuses to hear the case, meaning they're going to uphold a lower court's opinion. And they're, going to, they're going to establish the, the principle, at least, that the Catholic hospital must perform this surgery. How is this possible? We have a 6-3 
conservative majority here? Well, it's, it's possible because the conservatives on the court, Thomas, Alito, Gorsuch, Gorsuch is a little squishier, but Thomas, Alito, and Gorsuch, all three of them, sided with the Catholic hospital, at least to hear the case. But the squishes, Kavanaugh, Roberts, and Amy Barrett, they sided with the court's liberals and they won't hear the case. Amy Barrett. Amy, we fought so hard to get Amy Coney Barrett on the court. I was going to be the big win. Remember that? And Amy Coney Barrett is a disaster. She's a disaster. She's she, not only, gosh, the court should have gone so much further here, but they couldn't even give us the bare minimum to stop radical activists from forcing Catholic hospitals to sterilize women. Gosh. This, this big court case over the transgender surgery, the court, court case that wasn't because the Supreme Court wouldn't even hear it, and the court's alleged, a lot of the court's alleged conservatives sided with the liberals here. This shows you a big problem with the conservative legal movement. First of all, not only should Catholic hospitals not be forced to perform a transgender surgery, transgender surgery should be illegal. Okay, there are three, there are three positions here, right? There's the leftist position, which is we should promote transgender surgery. Frankly, we should trans the kids, right? That's the left-wing position. Then there's the squish libertarian position, which is if you want transgender surgery, that's fine. If you're a woman who wants to cut out her, or, or a man who wants to cut off his, or, his perfectly healthy organs to indulge in some delusion, that's totally fine. That's, that's a good thing. Do whatever you want. Just don't make me pay for it. Do whatever you want. Just don't, just don't force anyone else to. And then there's the conservative position, which is no, we, it is wrong. It is not compassionate. It's deeply cruel and unjust to indulge the delusions of sick people who believe that they are really women when they're actually men or, or vice versa and who are mutilating their bodies. There's nothing right or good about that. There's no, there's no political right to do that and we shouldn't do it. It's a violation of medical ethics at first do no harm. But we can't, forget about that conversation. We can't even now say that you can't force a Catholic hospital to do it. What this is showing is that the conservative legal movement is a joke. It's a joke. How many times have we pushed to get the conservative on the court and then the conservative, when push comes to shove, buckles? It's a joke. And it's too bad because we've built up these institutions in the conservative legal movement, the Federalist Society, things like that. And it hasn't worked. It hasn't worked out. We have lost almost every important court case, some of which are society-defining court cases. The radical new definition of marriage, things like that. We've lost them, almost all of them. We need a new conservative legal movement. Some people are working on this. Adrian Vermeule at Harvard is working on this. Josh Hammer, my friend who I saw yesterday at the National Conservative Conference, is working on this. Status quo isn't working, and we should not. We're like, we're like Charlie Brown with the football. We, just, we think the next time Lucy is going to hold the football in place, Lucy is not going to hold the football in place. Okay. Now, there is another big case coming up where I hope Barrett can redeem herself, but I'm not sure I'm necessarily holding my breath. Uh, this is an abortion case. It's going to be the biggest court case in a very long time that could overturn Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood v. Casey. But you look at, you look at 
at the record here for someone like a Kavanaugh or someone like a Barrett, certainly someone like a Roberts. You really think they're going to overturn Roe v. Wade? You really think they have the integrity and the courage to do that? It doesn't seem like that to me. I hope they prove me wrong. I hope they prove me wrong. Meanwhile, the abortion advocates are getting more brazen. There there was a a new law that's just come up through Illinois uh, that uh, will repeal an abortion parental notification law. So the upshot of this is that minors will be able to kill their babies through abortion without the parents ever finding out. And all these perverts and sickos in the Democrat, Democratic Party in Illinois, including the governor, are thrilled about it. They couldn't be happier. Terribly sad stuff. Obviously terribly sad for the babies and for the girls and for everyone involved. It does bring up this political question, though, that we keep coming back to. It's the political question that defines the elections that we've just had. Which is the basic unit of society? So I said that the, the question that mattered in, in Virginia is who gets to raise your kids? Some government employee or you? Well, that question is actually just part of an, of an even more basic question. What is the basic unit of society? The individual or the family? And this is, an, I told you, there are these three groups in society. There's the leftists, there's the kind of libertarian squish types, and then there are the conservatives. And very often it's the conservatives and the libertarians who are on the same side fighting against the leftists. But on this quest, on this most basic political question, it's the opposite. It's the leftists and the libertarians fighting against the conservatives. What is the most basic element of society? The leftists and the libertarians would probably say the individual. I'm, I'm simplifying a little bit, but I think that that's basically the answer. They would say the individual. The individual is the basic unit of society. The entire purpose of government is to protect individual rights. Don't tread on me, the individual. Forget me, the political community, just me, the individual. And so if the individual is the basic unit of society, you can see the logic or the illogic behind a law like this in Illinois. It's the individual. If if, If there is a right to an abortion, then the individual has that right. It's not about the family deciding that. Now, the conservatives believe that the individual is actually not the basic unit of society, that it's the family, right? If the individual is the basic unit of the society, then the state has a, has a claim to the education of the child, has, a, has the primary claim to the education of the child, right? Because it's maybe, maybe the kid's got a bad family and the state needs to come in and protect that kid from all the craziness that the family is going to fill his head with. You know, craziness about like... Um, religion and civics and love of country and morality and all that. But if the family is the basic unit of society, then before the state can intervene, the state needs to to deal with the family first. And if there is a right to an abortion before the kid can get the abortion, the kid needs to talk to the family first. This seems, uh, you, you go from this very specific issue in Virginia this issue of the rape in the school or this issue of critical race theory in the classroom to this much more abstract question, what's the basic unit of society? But that is really what we are debating here. And having just come from the National Conservatism Conference yesterday, it seems to me pretty clear that we're moving in a much more conservative direction, that the right is waking up and saying, wait a second, if we just keep prattling on about individual, 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 we're going to end up exactly where the leftists did. 
We need to defend those institutions that will actually protect us against the state. If we're all just atomized individuals, the state's going to clobber us. We need to protect those institutions that actually defend us. The family, the local community, the state against the federal government. That's what we've got to protect. That's what just won in Virginia. We'll see if we can take that into 2022, 2024, and further on out. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. See you tomorrow. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Klavan Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Ben Davies. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Supervising producer, Mathis Glover. Production manager, Pavel Vidovsky. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Associate producer, Justine Turley. Audio mixer, Mike Coromina. And hair and makeup by Cherokee Hart. Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. Today on the Matt Wall Show, Republican Glenn Youngkin pulled out a stunning victory last night. We'll talk about the lessons that can be learned from it, and we'll revel in the hilarious media meltdown that happened today as well. Also, the mother of the boy who raped a girl in Loudoun County has finally spoken out. Her comments are revealing, but perhaps not in the way she intends. Plus, the Kyle Rittenhouse trial kicks off. We'll discuss that. And finally, is it cruel and callous for parents to kick their adult children out of their homes and force them to live on their own? That's what many people seem to think, and we'll talk about that today and so much more on the Matt Wall Show.